Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by the TCT Content Team. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today I'm bringing you the second episode of our Innovators on Innovators series. In this episode, Andy Langfeld, the EMEA President at Shatterless, is joined by industry consultant Phil Rees to discuss market segmentation and application-specific products, whether the AM industry is too insular and educating the right people, and how legislation around sustainability and spare parts could impact the adoption of 3D printing. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com, where you can get your free print subscription to TCT Magazine and get the biggest 3D printing news stories delivered straight to your inbox every week with our additive insight newsletter. I'll now leave you with Andy and Phil, who kick things off by recalling their very first email exchanges seven years ago. So Phil, happy to be here with you. Yeah, what I did as a preparation for this uh, podcast, I was digging into emails that we have exchanged in 2014. And now we're here seven years later. Yeah, you you have a better email server than I do, because I don't think I can (laughs) get anything back more than three years. So so what what did you find? What was uh, what, what were we exchanging emails on? It was very interesting because I, I sometimes once in a while I go back into older emails just to uh, remind myself how the market has changed, uh, how um, you know the network has changed and the interaction with the people. So actually, we we have been about to have a, a user conference in the UK, but you also had a TCT conference. Uh, I think it was back then the first one about three D printing. And uh, it was quite interesting to see the agenda points. Do you remember the agenda points? Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a dinosaur with things, but I can't remember that far back. So t- tell, me what, tell me what they were and, and refresh my memory. It, the, the topic was basically really the uh, economical viability of 3D printing mm. and more the forward looking. So okay. what would be the desired end state or where does it go? <laughs> because we've always been accompanied by... A, a lot of hype in this industry and i think you you did a presentation about uh the current status of 3d printing back then in 2014 mm-hmm. and what you would perceive to be the future so do you think some of the things that you forecasted back then have turned into reality um yeah i mean we we started forecasting things a long way before 2014 um so maybe Maybe going back even further, some, some things have definitely come to fruition on, on economics, part economics. And I think the one thing that we've, we always used to say was we, we never anticipated the cost of printers would come down. What we anticipated was that the productivity would go up. And mm-hmm. I always say it's, it's a bit like computers. If you think back 10, 15, 20 years ago when you bought a PC, they were always a thousand pounds. The price never came down. What happened was the processor speed went up, the hard drive increased in volume, the, the, the GPU increased, and, and you accepted that because you got more for your money. And actually, I think to some degree, that's what's happened with additive. And, we, and that's kind of what we projected. We said, we don't anticipate the machines are going to crash through the floor in terms of cost. What's going to happen mm. is they'll increase in productivity. They'll be more mm. economically viable to use for product manufacture. And I think the other thing we said was, a barrier at the time was materials for sure. You know, if yeah. we went back six or seven years, there were so few materials on the market and it's really materials that engineers look for when they start the journey for using additive manufacturing. So yeah, I think yeah. You know, materials have increased, 
certainly the productivity of machines has increased. Um, I think the one thing maybe that I, I got wrong um, was I, and I still believe it today, I, I honestly think that we're going to get to a point where machines become specific for tasks. I still think we yes. live in a world of rapid prototyping, you know, where, where, where you guys make very generic machines because you don't know what people are going to use them for. And actually, if you look at the shop floor, a lot of, a lot of production engineering equipment does repetitive tasks day in, day out. It makes turbine blades. It makes parts of cars. And, and I predicted, I think, seven or eight years ago that we'd have more um, dedicated additive manufacturing systems dedicated to single tasks. And, and I still don't think that's yeah. happened. You know, I don't know what no, you guys. It's, feel. No, it's it's so true because also when I when I think back, I mean, first of all, let me go back into two thousand and nine when I started at uh, Stratasys, and I was presented the f the first three D printed part that I saw in my life, and I was just thinking, who would be using that and for what? <laughs> so, so what was, was it? The classical, <laughs> it? It was prototyping. You know, okay. it was do the first design iterations, maybe a bit of the look and feel and uh, get as close as possible to the end product that you want to produce. And it's still a very valid and valuable application in the mm -hmm. market. So prototyping hasn't gone away. It's still uh, uh, so so much adopted and it really brings economical value and uh, um, freedom of design capabilities to companies. So that's still very valid. But when we then met in 2014, we actually started the journey to go into market segmentation, kind of like mm -hmm. what you said, there needs to be a machine for a specific purpose. And we have been very good since, uh, you know, since uh, 19, uh, the late 1980s to bring cool products to market and customers would figure out how to use it. So you had a doctor using it, you had the automotive segment using it, you had uh, consumer electronics companies using it. And they have all become smarter than us and said, you know, this is a perfect application for additive manufacturing. Now, luckily, we are closely connected to our customers, so we could learn from them. And we understood exactly what you described. We must go into an era of segmentation. And uh, we do see across the product lifecycle, there is a design phase, there is a functional testing phase. Then there is the phase of producing on the manufacturing floor. And within the field of producing, that's the big, uh, the big hope now for the future mm -hmm. to be really specific in what can we offer here and not only manufacturing aids that are making the manufacturing process more efficient, but also using additive manufacturing in order to produce the parts that are needed. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where, as you said, it needs to be more specific for a, a very specific use case. Although I, though I would also claim that it still needs to be offering this uh, uh, flexibility that additive manufacturing can offer. You know, in COVID uh, and during the pandemic, you saw that the large OEMs uh, switched from producing parts for cars to um, PPE. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you don't want to give up uh, on because that's also one of the benefits of additive manufacturing is to produce what you need, when you need, where you need it which entails a certain level of flexibility. Yeah. But in terms of certification standards, what is required uh, in terms of certification to put a, a part into a car, that needs to be met mm -hmm. for sure. I, I heard a wonderful phrase a couple of years ago or a wonderful word, um, which is legile. And, mm -hmm. and, and what that is, is the combination, to describe 3D printing, and it's, it's this combination of lean and agile. Because yeah. one of the problems with lean manufacturing is you can lean yourself to death. 
you have no agility. And that's what you said with COVID. You, if, if all of your processes are so focused on, on one thing, you find it very hard to change. And, and, and yeah, I think with, with additive manufacturing, maybe you're right, the technology doesn't want to be too focused. But for some things, I think that, you know, good examples, the Z height of a machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if you're only making hearing aids or you're only making dental implants, you only need 20 millimeters of Z height. But, but if you have to have 200 millimeters of Z height and you have to fill all that void up with raw material, it becomes a very expensive process. So yeah, I yes. think there's, there's a balance. I mean, I'd, I'd be keen to understand, you know, if, if you look at a company like Stratasys, how do you listen to such a huge breadth of customers and, and use that knowledge to influence a technology roadmap? Because you've got some smart techie guys who kind of know, know what they're doing for the next four years. I, I'd be keen to know from a sort of a marketing sales business perspective, how you influence mm. them. Because they mm. must have quite, quite a, a focused mindset on what they want to do. And it might not always be what industry necessarily needs. So, so how, how do you influence uh, them? Sure. On the one hand, the question is, do, do we influence them or do they influence us? And I think it needs to be a, a, a good synergy. So we influence, on the one hand, we influence the market by marketing, uh, by making sure that there is a good understanding of what's really possible today. And it's, it's much more than um, that is common understanding in, in the industry or in several industries because it's still very much hype driven. So when we bring a cool uh, or very valuable application for the healthcare uh, market, for the patient care, the next question would be, when can we print the human heart? So it's still this hype element. So on, on mm-hmm. the marketing side, we need to set the right expectations without um, downgrading the capabilities of additive manufacturing today because it's, it's huge, it's immense. And at the same time, we need to educate the customers in terms of how they can apply it. It's all about additive manufacturing being applied. Mm-hmm. And that's the main barrier for many companies. They have a, a budget for Industry 4.0, for sustainability, for all of the buzzwords. But uh, many CEOs are struggling to understand how do I turn this budget into action to fulfill some of my uh, Industry 4.0 uh, mm-hmm. digitalization or sustainability goals. And we need to basically go from bomb to uh, printability to economical sense. And I also mm-hmm. remember you have done a study uh, what would it cost? Uh, and it was in 2014 as well. What would it cost to print a washing machine or other uh, <laughs> other goods? And and you also start with what can be printed, which components can be yep. printed, and then you go to the economical sense. Yep. And yep. that's that's the whole story. Yeah, yeah. That that was a fascinating fascinating project we did. So yeah, 2013-14, and it was with a really interesting crew of people called the IBM IBV, the Institute for Business Values. And those guys kind of commission quite deep, insightful studies. And, and, and we were part of a team looking at what would happen. And, and if you think back to 2013-14, robotics was also a really big thing. Cobots yeah. had just started to become a thing. Um, open source was a thing. Um, Android was kind of growing. You had Arduinos, you had Raspberry Pis. And all of a sudden, there was this, this idea that maybe the consumer electronics industry would, would go through a seismic shift if accessible robotics, accessible electronics and 3D printing were to converge. So mm-hmm. we, we, we looked at this, this sort of future world state of what would happen in supply chains if, if a small startup in, in Germany could get hold of 3D printers, robots and open source electronics. 
what would happen to things like LCD screens, iPhones or, or, or cell phones? Um, and yeah, yeah washing, washing machines was one example. And, but the reality was when we looked at it, yes, you could print, I think it was 15 or 25% of the parts, yeah. but, but then it would cost you $17,000 to do it. So there was no, no, exactly. There's no economic benefit (laughs) and there's no real, at the time, we couldn't really see any way of using the technology to improve the performance either. Now, maybe that's changed now because a lot of the work that people are doing, certainly on metal additive is around, can you improve the efficiency of products? Can we design Mm -hmm. efficiency? So yeah, it it would be fun to do that study again today because I think we'd find a lot of, a lot of things have changed. Technologically. Yeah, what, what, what I would claim is that, first of all, the, the capability to print more than 25% of the parts or the components would be a given because mm. the industry has come a long way when it comes to diversity of technologies. So there, there is some additional technologies, not a lot, but some additional technologies in the market and much more materials. Mm. And also the capability to certify uh, for real industrial grade solutions, the capability to certify printed uh, parts for industrial use. Mm-hmm. And it could be the, the flame retardant, the EN455 slash two certification that is required to put parts on a train, for example. But I think this was not possible back then. So in terms mm-hmm. of capability or the, the feasibility, is it printable and could it be used based mm-hmm. on the industry standards? This is probably based on studies that we have done. It's it's depending on the bomb, obviously, but it can easily go up to 50, 60, 70 percent where we would claim, yes, you can print that component or yep. you can print this amount of components. Economical sense, still a different question. <laughs> and that's related to throughput, uh, the speed of the technology and ultimately the cost per part. Yeah, I think you have to look at what, what is the driver to wanting to do it? And I think when, when we looked at things like the washing machine, we, we got into a really interesting position where you looked, at, you looked at supply chains by part count and you said, well, let's reduce the part count. Mm-hmm. Or you look at it by value of, of tied up inventory. And then you say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to look at part count. I want to look at mitigating the most expensive components. Or then you look at the supply chain and you look at vulnerability and you say, oh, actually, I want to use additive manufacturing locally to to offset the potential vulnerability, whether that's through shipping, whether it's Mm -hmm. through the Suez Canal getting blocked, all these different things. So it's very difficult, I think, to to look at replacing existing systems with additive manufacturing and and trying to decide why you would do it. And I think that's where companies really struggle. They they think they want to, whether it's for environmental sustainability, reduction of inventory, reduction of waste, acceleration of time to market. There are so many potential benefits I think companies mm. find it quite hard to say, well, how do I analyze them? How do I put KPIs yeah. to some of these claims? That's why it's still important that some of the solutions in the market are still not too much specified. Because as a company, you may want to jump uh, into 3D printing and have a range of applications that you can serve because a single one will not justify the business case. Mm-hmm. But we see that changing a lot. So the the maturity of the, the knowledge and also the awareness of around additive manufacturing has grown a lot. COVID has a bit accelerated this because it was prominent and shining in the news again as the alternative to disrupt supply chains to uh, create this uh, independency from, from the ships and the trucks that are um, driving across the globe. 
And I think this has been helping to uh, really take another another look at the at the bomb at the production process today, and to really look into AM as a adopted alternative. Because it's also there is a, a the hype would claim that additive manufacturing can replace some of the conventional production or, or manufacturing methods, which I don't believe is the case. But it is uh, a a very good alternative. Um, very much linked to um, to the volume of, of parts that are required today. Mm -hmm. The higher the volume, the more you would go back to injection molding or uh, traditional editing, uh, traditional manufacturing methods. But the lower the volume, the more valuable it is and the more adopted it is. And that's a trend that we are seeing. And then I would also see that you see uh, additive manufacturing technologies and materials are going into a direction where they're offering more and more capabilities, higher throughput, more possibilities to certify the outcome versus industry standards. And on the other side, you see the, the world of production going into the opposite direction towards additive manufacturing, where there is a requirement for higher customization, for lower volumes, for maybe replacing inventories and producing on demand, which also translates into lower volumes. And you have more and more touch points between the manufacturing industry or manufacturing of certain components and parts and the touch points with additive manufacturing capabilities. And all of these touch points are new use cases and applications that are making additive manufacturing adoption grow in the, in the market. Mm -hmm. episode is sponsored by Evolve Additive. I spoke to Director of Business Development, James Grimm, about their unique STEP technology. STEP technology has just hit the commercial market and it is something completely different. So what it stands for is Selective Thermoplastic Electrophotographic Process. What this really is, is a, uh, a three-step process. Think of like industrial uh, high volume 2D printing. And so what we've done is adapted that existing technology that's really proven and reliable from a great manufacturer, Kodak. And so we leverage their 2D printing and we create toners out of polymers, right? So thermoplastics. And once we've tonerized the thermoplastics, we can then use that printing technology and image thermoplastics in a similar way that, that they were imaging ink toners onto paper, right? Through a really high-tech 3D printing process, uh, we can align those plastic images on top of one another. They get fused together under heat and pressure, which is very similar to what's going on in an, in an injection molding machine. And so the net result is uh, very, very high resolution, very, very high detail, and a surface quality that is very similar to injection molding. And so what this allows us to do is really kind of poke into where injection molding currently has been uh, fulfilling manufacturing and with parts. And we, we are able to do this now with additive manufacturing and, and cut into what we kind of call our, our, our five pillars uh, of where our company stands on, right? And we wanna deliver additive manufacturing that meets customers' needs for cost a wide variety of materials, so real thermoplastic materials. We need to deliver parts that are 
of utmost quality. So it's very, you know, identical or better than injection molding quality and at a speed to meet high throughput. And we want it to be scalable, right? Our technology can grow and it's versatile, it really kind of breaks away from maybe a lot of the limitations of, of traditional injection molding. As we look towards AM for production, there's a lot of interest around the idea of the factory of the future. What's Evolve's take on how AM fits into that vision? The factory of the future is something that we really live and breathe every day at Evolve, right? Uh, automated unloading and loading of our parts is built right into the machine. So no, no more trying to create some sort of crazy robotic arm integration. It's pretty straightforward with ours. And so we've designed the machine to work in, in a factory setting right from the ground up. We've already built what we call Evolve factory software. And this allows you to really tap into all the data that is collected during the build process of our machine and leverage that for things like you know, ERP systems or MES systems and really sort of integrate this machine in an automated fashion into your own uh, production scheduling, ordering, fulfillment, it's really designed right from right out of the gate to be play very friendly with all of these fantastic automation tools and AI tools and big data tools that are coming our way. And another trend that we're really seeing right now is conversations around the role of additive manufacturing on supply chain. Where does Evolve fit into that conversation? Product producers are looking at how do they manufacture closer to the point of purchase. So you can start doing things like part rev control at a central headquarters and you know you can print parts at high volume and high mix at specific sites around the world. And so rather than calling up your contract manufacturer, having them pull a, pull a tool off of a shelf and prep it for molding, this is just send the data to your SVP machine that's sitting at your, at your manufacturing facility and pressing print. For more information, visit evolveadditive.com. Do you think, because I've recently did some work with the British Standards Institute on on writing a standard for business leaders to, to understand the difference between making money with 3D printing and saving money with 3D printing. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. a lot of the use cases that you've described, you know, whether it's shop floor tooling, jigs and fixtures, prototyping, the, the reason that we're adopting additive is actually for productivity gains. Mm -hmm. We're saving money on the shop floor. But, but then the flip side of that is you've also got companies who are designing highly complex geometries to get more optimized products that they're selling for a premium and therefore they're making money with 3D printing. And, and I just worry or I wonder what your view is, whether, whether we try and oversell all those benefits together because yeah. the, the benefits to one company are very different to the benefits to another. And I'm not sure how well as an industry we articulate the difference in the benefits of using using 3D yeah. printing to make well, money or to save money. First of all, let me ask you, are we an industry? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, the, yeah. we, 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 well, we all go to the same trade shows. We all talk at the same conferences. Sure, sure. And, and we all try and sell our wares to the same vertical markets. So yes. <laughs> I, guess, I guess there is an industry there. Um, I'd like to think it's a value chain. Um, some companies possibly exactly. try and steal too much of it, but um, I no, I just, I do think there is an industry in, in yeah. manufacturing. Now, in principle, I'm I'm with you on that, but I think we are not yet considering this industry 
as an industry. So with all of its diversity, with all of the, the potential customer values, as you described, making money versus saving money. And, and back to what, what I said at the beginning, we, we did start now in the example of Stratasys, we did start to segment the market and understand that a designer has different needs and also a different goal that he wants to accomplish via additive manufacturing as uh, compared to someone who is manufacturing or someone who is working on the shop floor uh, responsible for the jigs and fixtures and the efficiency of the production process. And this means that we need to much more diversify in terms of the expertise and the knowledge that we are offering to different markets. Because bottom line, we are an alternative solution to produce things. It could be a prototype. A prototype is also being produced and it's, it's an industry. It could be the production of low volumes, large volumes. It could be the production of customized parts. But all of these users are having different needs. And, and that's why we segmented the market and why, by the way, we also recognized that with our um, core technologies, Polyjet and FTM, which are still the most proliferated in the market, but uh, limited in what they can offer to certain stages of the product lifecycle, we acknowledge that we need to diversify and also expand in terms of our technology offering. And now you're going exactly into this direction where I would claim Polyjet is the solution for designers because you have mm -hmm. the full color Pantone validated, you have the transparency, you have the um, different shore values for the, for the haptical elements of a prototype. You have FDM technology for jigs and fixtures, large tools, but also for certified parts, low volume into specific industries. And then you have uh, SAF and P3 or powder and DLP technologies in general that are uh, capable of producing higher volumes in materials that have, have not been available so far in the industry. And that's a specification that we need to do. And, and it's all use case driven. So how do we give someone a tool that he can use to increase revenue or to <laughs> decrease cost? It, it requires us to offer the right solution and not say that FDM can do everything because yep. that's not the case. Yeah. Do you, it's an interesting topic about <clears throat> technologies and, and markets and certainly on end use part manufacture, because over the years, lots and lots of vendors have come to me and said, I have this technology. It can do this. What is the market for it? And, and mm -hmm. the assumption is always that there is some missing, there is a market with no technology to fill the market void. So, you know, I, we have injection molding that can make millions of parts cost effectively, and we have rapid prototyping that makes very small numbers of parts cost effectively. And, and as the productivity of the technology increases, there's an assumption that there's a market out there for 10,000 parts a year or 20,000 mm -hmm. parts a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure there is because those markets need to be made. They don't exist. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what your view is. It's, it's, it's just people seem to think that there is a, a market out there that needs 3D yeah. printing for production. Um, yeah. But when you look around, you say, well, no, you have to make the market for 3D printing. You have to, on the one hand, you have to make it. On the other hand, you have to just rethink. For example, the, the, the topic of rethink is rethink inventory, as an example. If you have thousands of parts on the shelf, um, get rid of them and produce them when you need them. So that's basically a shift of the 
the after sales or the um, the maintenance of products that we bring to market. And that's the market doesn't exist today because the solution awareness may not be there. And we've always had our inventory and our shelves and our parts on the shelf and the trucks shipping here mm -hmm. and there. Um, so that's a rethinking where the, the task that we have is to convince that it makes economical sense. And it's clear that it's more sustainable that we are saving CO2 emission um, when we have less ships and less trucks uh, on the road. So that's a, a storyline that many people can follow. And there is also a high level of interest in order to change that uh, current status quo. You have Siemens Mobility uh, and they, um, as an example, took inroads and said, okay, we're not going to do the inventory anymore. We're going to produce on demand. And on the other hand, there may not be a market because there has not been, uh, again, the awareness that we have a valuable production method to serve that 10,000 mm -hmm. volume, but with a higher degree of customization, higher competitiveness in the market. So you need to do something that is unique and, and you want to do it for a certain market segment. And the further we segment the market or all of the companies out there are doing it, the smaller the lot size. Mm -hmm. So you're not talking to um, consumers. You're talking to consumers with a specific uh, a specific buying persona. So who is the buying persona that we are addressing with our, mm -hmm. our product? Yep. And that scales down the volume. And that uh, takes, uh, that's where additive manufacturing is taking inroads to, to do really the customized products for people. I had another mm -hmm. podcast and a person was asking me, you know, what have I to do with 3D printing? I will never have a desktop printer at home because I don't know what to do with it. And, uh, and the thing is really that we as consumers, we are benefiting from additive manufacturing without even knowing it because the products we consume in, in many cases are better uh, because of uh, the use of additive manufacturing in the early, early stages. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good point. I, somebody once asked me, or a journalist once asked me, when do you think 3D printing will have arrived? Uh, and my response was when people stop talking about it. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the issue is that, you know, I, I remember standing up at a conference and saying, you know, who in the audience has something 3D printed with them? And it was a 3D printing conference. And remarkably, yeah. no one put their hand up. And then we said, well, okay, but, you know, who, who, who do you know who's had a, an orthopedic implant? Who do you know who has an in-the-ear hearing aid? Who do you know who's got invisible dental aligners? All these people have actually been touched by 3D printing, but you don't yeah. see it. It's around you. And, 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 and I, that's, that's kind of how I want this industry to, to progress, I suppose. I, yeah. I guess coming back to your point, though, about the vertical markets, and, and you know, are we, are we too insular as, a, as an industry, if I use my term that we're an industry? Do we look in on ourselves too much? You know, we're doing a podcast at the moment for TCT. You know, yeah. Should we not be doing podcasts for Supply Chain Weekly or Lean Manufacturing Monthly? Or, you know, is that actually the customer for the future of additive manufacturing? Because it's, you said pro prototyping is still a big thing, but the prototyping yeah. market knows about the technology. And I, I just wonder, are we, are, we, are we educating the right people or the wrong people about what the technology can do for their companies? It's a very good question. I mean, we, we are definitely taking the approach that we want to educate specific industries. Because exactly as you said, we, we have spent a lot of time educating us in the, internally within our additive manufacturing industry. 
so it, it was kind of it's kind of like a family you know each uh, each uh, trade show is a bit of a family reunion you exchange you you learn from one another so it's all benefiting or all contributing to the fact that this uh, industry or additive manufacturing is taking some evolutionary steps whether it's the advancement of technologies uh, materials but also use cases and what we really need to do is educate inside out and and this education is is you know entailing marketing so how how do we address different verticals and convince them about the, the potential of additive manufacturing and this needs to be very specific and that needs to be driven by what is the customer pain point and what is the customer need. Mm -hmm. and then you you have certain clusters because you may have common needs in the automotive industry now automotive industry is going through a big change with e-mobility so uh, you see really tectonic shifts in this industry which means that they are currently in a phase of redesigning products. So prototyping will again become a bit more prominent in the automotive in terms of the usage, but people will not talk about it that much because it may not be so sexy. We spoke about it five years ago, so why again? But it's now, it's a, it's a current demand and need of the automotive industry. So we need to reiterate that message that when you now switch from your diesel car to an e-mobility or to an electronic car, uh, where can you leverage 3D printing for the, for the prototyping stages? Because that's mm -hmm. where you are right now. Uh, but we also need to then address how can you save weight, which is linked to e-mobility mm -hmm. down the, the manufacturing process. And that's so specific that uh, we could talk for hours about different industries, different needs, but the inside out, what is possible with additive manufacturing for specific buying, specific buying persona and specific use case needs, that's the secret for the expansion of additive <laughs> manufacturing. Yeah, I think you can, you can postulate kind of the, the, the what ifs as technologies change. I, I was speaking to somebody recently about the electric vehicle market and also autonomous vehicles. And there's a long-term yeah. sort of train of thought that says, if we get to a point where we truly have autonomous self-driving aware vehicles, then actually all the crash protection systems that add weight to vehicles are not necessarily worthwhile. And therefore, mm. if you start to take these things out, you can start to reduce the amount of metal used in vehicle manufacture. And then it starts to raise the question about more sustainable polymers, mm. reuse of components, so, you know, at the moment, electrification is it's heavy because of batteries, but battery technology is moving incredibly quickly. So, yeah. you know, you, you think in the future, 20, 10, 20 years down the line, are vehicles going to be more like carbon fiber go-karts that have, yes. you know, very small battery systems, very powerful high-torque motors that are 3D printed, very mm. efficient. I don't know, it's just... You know, maybe the maybe the electrification of, of cars is probably the best thing that's ever going to happen to 3D printing. It could be, and 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 you you also see in this example, it's a it's a top down initiative, I would call, mm. because it the 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 change from denial to acceptance of many of the the automotive OEMs has been happening in record time, mm. and that's down to public pressure, I would say. So. E-mobility well, is the next and big thing. And government and legislation. Government. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, but, but that's the top down that I was referring to. And then you go from denial to uh, embracing this in record time. And, and I've been surprised by some of the 
you know, the big names in the automotive industry mm. that uh, uh, the, the message changed so quickly or it felt like overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's where also I see the potential for 3D printing to have this moment of, uh, of unleash mm. where there is also some, and you see the trend with governmental fundings yeah. uh, related to digitalization and uh, CO2 emission reduction. Mm. So I think it's, it's happening and, and there, there will could, be a point of acceleration. There could be some other uh, similar initiatives or similar ways of driving 3D printing adoption in other industries. So I saw recently there's a, a new European legislation about consumer white goods manufacture. Yes. So if mm-hmm. you make washing machines, dishwashers, mm-hmm. anything, you have to be able to supply spare parts for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. the traditional inventory model for spare parts is not going to work for a mm. 10-year life cycle. So yeah. either machine manufacturers are going to have to just standardize parts, which they're not going to want mm-hmm. to do because it, they lose innovation, or they're going to have to look to things like 3D printing to make the spares. But, but I guess if they're smart, you look at designing them to be 3D printed from the outset yes. so that you can then use them for spares. So I, I do wonder again whether, whether governments and legislation will be the thing that changes supply chains and pushes them towards 3D printing? It's a fair assumption because all of the big trends are influenced by the governments uh, and it starts with the funding uh, criteria that they put in place. If you take Horizon Europe uh, or Horizon 2020 Mm -hmm. uh, before that, it it all spoke a very specific language and gave focus to the companies. What is it that we need to embrace? What is it that we should focus on? in order to be also able to efficiently apply for funds mm-hmm. and prove that we are taking these inroads. So I think it's, it's, it's always a governmental giving of directions uh, where, where we need to go. And this will, will unfold a lot of new use cases for additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So we, we can only be ready and the same as you are doing it with, uh, with your studies, with your prognosis, uh, or also the experience that you have. It's really opening the eyes of what are the potential mega trends. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you really want to be uh, competitive in the future, you need to always look at the mega trends. Yep. And, and it could be small mega trends that you know, a consumer is not necessarily aware of, but the companies need to play with that thought and, and look at all of the tools they could have available. Mm-hmm. And tools could be digital, it could be 3D printing, it could be something completely else. But is I there think- a mega trend that you see coming up soon i i think the, the the mega trend that exists already it relates to materials and that's sustainability mm-hmm. uh, but 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 i guess not just the material sustainability but the whole supply chain sustainability so you know yeah. you mentioned earlier yes there are there are benefits to reshoring manufacturing bringing manufacturing close to the point of consumption that reduces transportation that reduces cost but you have to look at full life cycle end-to-end sustainability and i think we do have some issues around the green side of our certainly on the polymer side our polymer chemistry is maybe not as green as it could be the actual additive manufacturing processes in themselves are not as energy efficient as they could be they haven't been designed around energy efficiency so mm-hmm. if, if you look at some of them, you know, you preheat a significant amount of material to just below its melting temperature. You hit it with a laser that's an incredibly inefficient laser. You lose lots of energy in the room. You end up with a cake of material that you then let cool down for 24 hours. 
Mm. That's not an efficient manufacturing process. So, mm. so I think as time goes on, the next big trend in this industry is going to be efficiency. How do we make machines mm. more efficient, supply chains mm. more efficient? How do we make material either greener coming in or more recyclable going out? And, and mm. my, biggest, my biggest worry is, as an industry, we won't keep pace with legislation. And that mm-hmm. certainly, you know, at the moment, some companies are able to use our technology for prototyping because it's exempt from the environmental legislation placed on them in the supply chain. But if we want them to start making products with our technology, we need to think differently about sustainability. And mm-hmm. the, worry, the worry is that we won't. And at some point, somebody will turn around in, in the corporate social responsibility group of a large car company and say, well, that material you're using in prototyping, we can't use that anymore. We're going to be yeah. legislated against it. So, so I do think we, we really have to think as an industry seriously about sustainability. Um, I think, you know, the other thing that really excites me is the idea of, of materials, making materials that we can't make by other manufacturing processes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of taking your multi-material approach kind of one step yeah. further. So the idea yeah. of combining chemistry at the printhead to make new types of polymers or combining different types of powders into different types of alloys and, and, and using yeah. additive as a way of, of getting better material rather than mm-hmm. just saying, oh, this is as good as ABS or as good as peak. You know, can we get yeah. to the point where we're better? So, so those, those are kind of, I suppose, yeah, tr- trends, I would think. Certainly the environmental megatrend is one. I, I'm, I'm less convinced about customization. I mm-hmm. don't honestly believe the world cares about customization. I think, well, well personalization. I think you know, we have a, a, an awful lot of options to personalize things around us. We just don't. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. We, pers- we personalize our digital experience on our cell phone, but we don't personalize our clothing. We could go and have different T-shirts to each other. We could have different jeans. We could have different footwear. And the likes of Nike have tried personalization. And, and these mm-hmm. things, just consumers just... I don't think are as bothered about personalization as we as an industry think they are. Mm. So, but it doesn't need to be customization towards the needs of a consumer. It can also be customization to the needs of supply chain mm-hmm. for specific parts. So I think I, I agree with you. It's uh, not, not everything needs to be personalized and customized to my needs, my personal Andy Langfeld needs. Um, but, but use case needs are driving a certain level of customization in terms of the, the processes and everything. So you, you can customize supply chain to a certain range of your product. When, mm-hmm. when, you, you know, when you now face the 10 years of, uh, of spare part supply, mm-hmm. it's, it's a customization down to the level of the spare part that you need to be able to supply and the lifetime of that spare part and so forth. So I think that goes into the direction of additive manufacturing. And uh, other, other than that, I, I agree with you that there is mega trends and, and workflow and automation and the speed of the process or the mm-hmm. the way how we make it a hands-off experience additive manufacturing that's uh, the the focus that we have big times mm-hmm. we need to make sure that it's a seamless experience and it's not a segmented workflow from software and cut design then to the printer and then you shut mm-hmm. down and you take the next step it needs to be a seamless process and uh, it it's making big progress if you compare it to a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. So you now have automated uh, production lines where there is less hands-on 
uh, even with FDM, um, where where you you are saving a lot of steps that have been required in the past. But the automation, the the software experience, the the shipping of data, uh, if you if you want to call it like mm -hmm. that, that's all of the things that need to to advance in order to make it um, even more adopted in the in the different industries. So I'm, I'm just I'm just conscious of time, but I'm really interested to explore. You, yeah. you said that the first email exchange between us was seven years ago. So what's, yes. the, what's the email exchange going to look like in seven years time? What are we going to be in talking about? Years. Yeah, what are we what are we going to be talking about? Because I, I read an that's article by, question, by, yeah. by Joris Pels this morning, and, and he said nothing's changed in the last eight, eight to ten years. Mm. Technologies are the same. Maybe the application's mm. a bit different. But, but you know, what are we, what are we going to be talking about in seven years' time? You know, I, I think we, we will not be that much needed anymore because we are sort of generalists. <laughs> <laughs> so... We have seven years time now to specialize. So maybe we will meet and we will be uh, additive manufacturing for healthcare. And that's our topic. But I really believe it will be more tailored to a certain industry, to a certain use case, because there is so much to talk about. We could have spoken five hours about healthcare applications mm -hmm. only, about uh, patient care models and uh, um, planning models for surgeries and so forth. But these will be the discussions where we're talking about a use case. And by the way, additive manufacturing is part of this process and the enabler. But it's not additive manufacturing. What can it enable? Will it go this yep. direction or that direction? It will be a use case. And we are enjoying the conversation about a use case and how different it was seven years ago. Can you just imagine how mm -hmm. we produced medical models seven years ago? Yep. And now look at the capabilities we have today. And by the way, additive manufacturing is the enabler. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting way of, of viewing it. I I have a, a company I work with at the moment as an advisor who have a, a bioresorbable polymer for making implants, and it took them twelve years to develop it. And it was only halfway through the development journey that somebody realized they could print it. Mm -hmm. And then they said, "Well, why don't we just make it printable?" And up until that point, it was going to be a molding material. And, and then they yeah. went, well, no, it's photo curable. So we'd have to cast it. And then somebody said, oh, that means you have to have optically clear tools. And, and then somebody said, well, let's print it. So, so now it's a material that's a printable material, but, but the printing isn't really part of it. You just yeah. need the printers to make the material to work. So, exactly. so yeah, maybe, maybe that's where we'll be as an industry. As I say, back to the point, we know we've arrived when people stop talking about it. <laughs> 